1: Hey, and welcome to the Common Good. AM eleven sixty. Hope for your life, alongside Ian Simpkins, My name is Brian From. Thank a- you. Hey, for it's Monday. <laughs> I, I'm going into it. Going, we got we got to get the energy up for people. It's Monday. <laughs> it's Monday. How was your weekend?
2: It was great. Was it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it really was good. I had, had a lot of family time. I uh, I spoke at a fundraiser for Adeline Christian Camp. Which uh, a couple of my friends run and operate. It's a beautiful, beautiful ministry. A couple hours west of here. If you're looking for a Christian camp, by the way, Adeline Christian Camp. <laughs> they're, they're not paying for this. I just thought of that. They, I mean, it is remarkable. Just even hearing some of the testimonies. I didn't grow up going to camp. Did you do like I a? Did not. I had gone to a couple of camps that were really transformative. But you know, I think of like apparently some people are like just camp people like yep. they've been going to the same camps since they were five and some of the stories that kind of came out of the work that they're doing was remarkable that's it was really, cool. really it was really cool to be a part of that's
1: it. Really cool it was my uh, college homecoming this weekend and my daughter's high school homecoming so nice all sorts of pictures and catching up with people you uh, look beautiful by the way thank my, you very much you're welcome Went to the Wheaton North Central football game, which my alma mater defeated their arch rival. It was one of the best games I've ever seen at Wheaton. So it was a fun weekend. Do Christians up.
2: have arch rivals? We do. We, supposed to? Hmm. we do. And for no.
1: Wheaton, it is North Central. Conference. Oh, I had no <laughs> so idea. It was, uh, it was a fun weekend. But we're glad that you are here to join us today. As always, you can find us on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show. That's the Common Good Radio Show on Twitter. At Common Good Talk, that's at Common Good Talk online, 1160hope.com. And as always, you can find our podcast wherever it is you find your podcast. Go ahead, subscribe, rate, review, and uh, then
2: unsubscribe, then resubscribe, rate, review again. I think that all helps us. It does not. <laughs> I think it does. That's like uh, Bueller trying to put the uh, the car in reverse to take the miles off. It, what was that guy's name in there? Oh Cameron. oh Cameron Cameron I actually five, saw that exact know. car the other day. Did you really? It was driving down Naperville and I w- stared, awkwardly. Oh, it hilarious. was I I don't know if you're a car guy or not, but I am not. Oh I, my I, word. I, I do like Ferris Bueller's <sighs> Day well, All right, we'll take that.
1: Speaking of movies, ah, that's a professional segue right there. You pat yourself on the back. More uh, on than On that any one deserved pro- <laughs> it. That one deserved it. Speaking of segues, uh, speaking of movies, The Joker came out this weekend. Uh, And it broke box office records. Uh, The CNN story here says, even as its controversial depiction of violence made potential theater goers anxious. Let me give you some of the stats. Okay. Uh, It says the gritty Warner Brothers film about the origins of the crazed Batman nemesis brought in an estimated ninety three and a half million dollars in North America this weekend. That makes Joker the highest grossing opening in the history of October. Uh, shattering the Sony Pictures Venom, which made $80 million last October. It's the largest opening for Warner Brothers this year, as well as one of the biggest openings for an R-rated movie. It made $234 million uh, worldwide. It stars Joaquin Phoenix as the Joker, a troubled man who turns into a killer. And then it says this, the murderous clown's indiscriminate violence has put critics and authorities on edge. And that's where I want to start for all – again, you and I talked off air. This is just – I'm not a big movie guy in general. Like just – it's not how I like to spend my time. Like if my wife and I can go out and – um but I don't tend to watch superhero movies and these kinds. Just never have. Um But this is getting uh, a lot of both praise, a lot of Academy Award buzz, but also a lot of pushback because it is – It's depiction of mental illness, but also just of the indiscriminate violence, as it says, in a culture where we're dealing with the ramifications of mass shootings and mental illness. And I think people are really wrestling with has Hollywood gone too far here or is it Hollywood's job to kind of throw all this stuff in the air? So wondering your take so far on what you've heard about this Joker movie.
2: Well, it is unfortunate that neither of us have seen it, and neither of us are cinema experts. We're not like movie people necessarily. Uh, I'm probably much more inclined to watch a movie like this than you are, but even that has a caveat because (laughs) I try to only watch stuff that my wife and I can watch together, and I don't know that she'd be thrilled to see this, probably because of the violence, but there is something about, you kind of touched on it, like Hollywood's role to illuminate or talk about even in some kind of creative narrative arc, the issues of the time. Um, I heard a podcast, I think it was Carrie Newhoff was talking about, look at the horror movies from the past. You'll know what society was struggling with. And the whole, it was awesome. this whole kind of take on these horror movies specifically being a microcosm of what culture was uh, kind of wrestling with. If you go back, you know, to the seventies, eighties and nineties. And I thought that was an interesting take on the, the role of that particular cause I don't really Horror movies are not my thing at all. Yep. I remember when I first became a youth pastor, all these kids were going to see the Saw movies, and I was like, no, oh. no, thank you. I have no interest in seeing any of that. So the Joker movie does not necessarily fit in the in the category of horror, but this podcast was making a really interesting case, though, that it is a bit of a microcosm. It is shining some light on sort of the issues of the time, mm-hmm. and I think it's unique that we're in the midst of that, and part of the pushback is, is it glorifying it too much? Is it not offering enough of a, uh, a detrimental sort of conclusion with the subject matter? I, again, we don't know because we've not seen it. Um, but I will admit, though, that for some reason, the first time I saw the trailer, I thought, oh, that's a movie I want to see. Is Really? Yeah. Because why? Just it looked interesting? It, it looked or? interesting. I mean, I like Joaquin Phoenix. I don't think mm-hmm. he's uh, infallible by any stretch. But there is something about... The take, you know, and and again, I, Dark Knight, I think, is more than a decade old. I think it was 2008, and I remember, you know, Heath Ledger's depiction of that movie being really provocative and really intriguing, and being really kind of enraptured in that particular portrayal ten years ago. So I don't really know why. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Some of our glorification of the bad guys, which has kind of given me a lot of pause. Like, wow, sometimes we really do elevate to a way that's not helpful, but. You know, best I can tell, this is a, a little bit of a peek behind the curtain of, like, what made the Joker this, like, pretty globally known, infamously bad person. What What are the series of events that led up to him becoming that? I think that's just the – to me, that's an intriguing take. Yep. Warner Brothers came out to say this is not an endorsement of real-world
1: violence of any kind, but right. they went on to say Warner Brothers believes – and this is uh, an interesting statement – Warner brothers believes that one of the functions of storytelling is to provoke difficult conversations around complex issues. Hmm. It is not the intention of the film, the filmmakers or the studio to hold this character up as a hero. Uh, Do you believe that it is one of the functions of good movie making and storytelling to provoke difficult conversations around complex issues, not just movies, but storytelling in general? Absolutely.
2: It's, It's part of why I think I end up getting frustrated at a artistic level, at movies that don't seem to do that, where, you know, after 90 minutes, you're like, that didn't say anything. We didn't go anywhere. There was no there was no journey. There was no discovery. There was no tension. There was no arc. Uh Obviously, I'm a believer in just the dumb turn your brain off movie once in a while. Yep. Like, I think we need that, too. Or or the sitcom or whatever. I'm not saying everything needs to be thought provoking and peeling back the layers. But I think at its core, good storytelling, good artistic creation in some way does exactly what you just said
1: yeah i wonder where that is isn't true i wonder where uh, i don't have an answer to this because i i do there there is something to be said about you know our 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 culture struggles with violence and mass shootings and all this stuff and this film is probably trying to point some of those stuff out but uh, there there are times where maybe um, we have to say you know this is pouring gasoline on the problem more than helping and i i, I not having seen the movie and not having been <laughs> You know, you made a point like, we haven't seen this movie. I'm never going to see this movie, not out of some cult, like, principled stand. It's just, I know the way I function. I'm probably never going to see this movie. But uh, I do wonder, I I wonder if, uh, what are the negative consequences of a movie like this?
2: The negative consequences, I think, is that it runs the risk potentially of glorifying this kind of behavior. Like, there's a, a guy named Travis Langley who wrote a book called The Joker Psychology. I think it's really interesting. He's also a professor at Henderson State University. He talks about the Joker being an agent of chaos, an analog for real world ter- terrorism, including those driving people to make bad decisions because of fear. So, this idea, and we've heard the quotes, I am assuming you've seen some of the Batman stuff, some from the So, yep. he talks about. Just wanting to watch the world burn or mm-hmm. just being an agent of chaos or like the unpredictability, I think sometimes in artistic depictions can elevate them as desirable in some people's minds, yep. which I think is probably part of some of the concern from the people watching and saying, oh, this goes too far. Yeah. Again, <laughs> you and I have no idea because we haven't seen it.
1: Yep, yep. But we would love especially to hear from those of you who maybe have seen it. Uh, yeah. Or if you're like, I'm not going to see this for a very particular reason, would love to hear that as well. You can do that at the, our Facebook page uh the common good radio show that's the common good radio show we're off and running on this monday free and simpkins i'm brian Fromm. this is the common good on am 1160 hope for your life welcome back to the common good on am 1160 hope for your life alongside ian simpkins my name is brian Fromm. thanks for joining us today you can find us on facebook at the common good radio show also on twitter at common good talk that's at common good talk well uh sometimes we find our stuff from from you know long stories sometimes it's just from twitter and you found a tweet over the weekend uh that spoke uh particularly to this idea about cancel culture uh you and i we've talked about this a bunch that that increasingly in our culture uh we're digging up stuff from people's past or if they say one thing in their present that's kind of like all right they're dead to us as a culture right like they're no longer we do this it with comedy we do this just in entertainment we do this in sports we do this in the church where uh someone has done something or said something and they're they're done they're gone you never really hear from them again and so with that in mind you found a clip uh i believe trevor noah uh what's the name of the show again daily show yep daily show comedy central Mm -hmm. oh man see uh, you're killing it, Brian. Brown. Killing it, up. man. Uh, and her, his guest name is Jamila Jamil. Jamila Jamil, and uh, she speaks with him. It's going to be a little bit of a long clip, so stay with us because we'll come talk about it when it's over. Uh, it's about two minutes long. Uh, these are their, this is their conversation on this concept of cancel culture.
0: It, it is,
3: it is interesting that you say feminist in progress mm-hmm. because it does feel like we're in a world now where everyone wants to be heard rightfully so mm-hmm. but then the conversations around it can become so visceral and you know like no one wants to listen in and around these
0: conversations you've been very quick to to just take it if someone says hey jamila you didn't include these people in your
3: conversation or you've excluded these people in this conversation you just go like yes i'm sorry i'll include them and then i move on does it ever get tiring to do that? Or, like, like, how did you decide to take that approach?
4: No, like, I only have the freedom that I have now because other people before me fought for women of color to be given opportunities that I'm now able to uh, benefit from. So, no, I never tire of being corrected if I'm wrong. You know, I've, like, I have more to learn, and, I, and I'm grateful that people don't patronize me and they think that I can take the criticism. Right. And I can, and I think that the thing that we are sometimes searching for in our society is moral purity, and you're just never going to find that. All you can find is progress and not perfection. And so that's what we should all be striving towards. You know, if we, if we completely cut people down every time that they show their ignorance or they make a mistake or they have a mistake from 10 years ago, then people are going to feel like there's no value in learning or progressing whatsoever because you're punished forever for the sin that you no longer stand by. So, you know, if you haven't done irrevocable harm, I think you should be allowed the opportunity to learn and grow and do better. And so, you know, 10 years ago, I was... Uh, but... Seven years ago, ten years ago, I was problematic in my thinking. And there were loads of things that I didn't know and didn't understand and right. thought I was right about. And had I been cancelled at that time, I would never have gone on to become someone who now spends all of their life fighting for women's rights and the rights of people who are marginalised and who is now being able to, you know, get Instagram and Facebook to change their global policies to protect young people. That, that's a so huge thing. thank God goal. I didn't get cancelled right, because that, I, I got thing.
1: So just kind of a fascinating interview about uh, the need to allow people to prog- uh, to progress, to progress, and to not just get rid of people.
2: What did you think about what she said? I, I think the part that stood out to me the most was the de-incentivizing knowledge. To, mm. The idea that if we cancel someone because of a position they used to hold but now no longer do – it does sort of, I think, subtly and maybe more overtly than I realize, communicate, like, well, there's no benefit in actually continuing to grow and to learn because if anything is found out about you at all, then culture as a whole will decide that uh, you're no longer worth listening to or no, you no longer hold any value in, the, in whatever space you occupy. And I think it's different than the Shane Gillis story, right, because some of the stuff that he had said on his podcast was just from a few months ago. Mm-hmm. So it's not like the Kevin Hart tweets where they were, you know, a decade-old – twitter rant which was you know not great the stuff that i'm not dismissing any of that but you know part of his posture was like i'm not that same guy from 10 years ago and i actually really regret saying those things where with gillis it was like yeah i'm a comedian i push the boundaries that's what comedians do and he sort of doubled down Mm -hmm. with a sort of like if i offended anybody then i'm you know like so there's definitely different kinds of cancel culture so i'm not saying. So I'm not saying no one should ever be quote unquote canceled. I think there's certainly viable reasons for that where someone's kind of showing their true colors. And you're like, yep, we don't have to give you our attention and money anymore. Yeah. That's, that's okay. But part of what she was talking about though, this idea of, of still valuing, like we've even talked about this in terms of sermons, right? I've gone back and listened to sermons from 15 years ago and thought, man, thank God they didn't fire me. <laughs> like, yeah. like, thank God my church like stuck with me through some, through me figuring some stuff out, and I'm still figuring stuff out. You know that's that's part of what it means to be alive in the world. I think so. It's it's different, you know. But you and I have microphones, and there's stuff that's recorded, and there's I mean there's it's different than an actress or a comedian, but there certainly is. I've been the recipient of a lot of grace when I said stuff that I don't think that I necessarily would hold to ten yeah. years later, and so maybe that's why it's a it's a particular soft topic for the two of us because. It's, it's a little bit of the world that we live in. Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, I think one of her valid
1: points was like, as you said, don't hold people always to what they said. Uh, let me ask you this, though. She did use a caveat there. She said unless they did a revocable harm. Or yeah, something, right. One of the dangers and one of the things I think a lot of us wrestle with is who's the arbiters of a irre- revocable. Is that the word harm? Yeah. Who gets to decide what is has gone too far from 10 years ago, five years ago, a week ago? How do we as a culture, or is it just, you know what, whatever the tide of culture is, when they culture decides, culture decides.
2: Yeah, Andrew Yang actually responded to her tweet. She tweeted this video, and he said, I think we have, as a society, become excessively punitive and vindictive concerning people's statements and expressions we disagree with or find offensive. I don't think people should be losing jobs unless it's truly beyond the pale and egregious. So the same question stands, right? So who determines... Beyond the pale and egregious. Right, because that's a pretty squishy metric. How do you actually... And I think that's probably the unanswerable question in all of this. Yep,
1: yep. And that's a question within the church because uh, there's this happens in the church, right? Famously, John Piper text uh, tweeted about uh, Rob Bell years ago, right? Farewell, Rob Bell. And that, that, if he, that has since become a bit of a, a saying going forward. And it's, again, now in the church, who gets to say they're in, they're out? And in culture, who gets to say they've gone too far, they're out? And, and I think this is something, like you said, it's a bit unanswerable, But at the same time is the entire key to the conversation. Because I think we all want to say people change, people uh, progress, people get better unless they've done too much. And the question is always going to be what's too much.
2: Well, and I don't know that the farewell Rob Bell was even just in good taste, to be honest. I'm not
1: suggesting it. was. I think he was literally saying. Rob Bell's outside the camp.
2: He, well, and I, and I think it's even okay to believe that. Yep. I just think someone like Piper has the responsibility with the platform and reputation that he has to you know, be mindful of. Like, would you say that at a dinner party? You know, if you were sitting around a table and someone said something like, farewell, Brian, be, be gone. <laughs> yes. Like that would be, you know, tacky. And I think that so it's not even just a matter of like what is and isn't egregious. Some of it is, okay, even if you're right, is there a right and wrong way to be right? Mm -hmm. I think you, I think a lot of times Christ followers included, we can be right in the wrong way Mm -hmm. where the conclusion might necessarily, I mean, it might be factually true, but the methodology is, is so toxic or so dismissive or so not Christ-like. I I think it's, it's not just enough to be right. We have to be right in the right way. And I think when we say, well, I'm right, so it doesn't matter how I say it or how I go about it or how I talk about you or to you. I just, I think that's flat. I think that's one-dimensional is missing the the holistic call to be christ-like in the world
1: yeah that's a that's a good point to think about to be right in the right way as opposed to just be right and uh, i think our culture is gonna continue to get this this cancel culture is going to be an ongoing issue but i the church is going to be caught up in this uh both from our cultural standpoint but also within the church culture the church bubble so something we need to continue to wrestle with well uh, you and I, as we say every Monday, we are both pastors, uh, and so we like to just spend some time unpacking what we preach. I did not preach this weekend, but you did. Well, this uh, will be a fun segment. So we are uh, <laughs> we are going to give it all to you. So wow, uh, that is coming up next year on the Common Good AM eleven sixty. Hope for your life. Last week you told me I have to listen to this whole song and watch the video. I have done so. I think you did so while we were in the studio. And then I did it again. Powerful. It really is, right? Powerful. Yeah. And I also learned that my kids know this song. And so wow. they were like, oh yeah. They in fact when one of them was playing it. I was like
2: we do that on the show, and they're like, what? And they're like, do you have a show? <laughs>
0: exactly.
2: <laughs> the common good, bringing parents and kids together nationwide. <laughs> Bridged by John Legend. <laughs> Thank,
1: well, you. We always, Thank you, John. We play that song each Monday as Ian and I talk about what we preached. Uh, but before we do that, uh, we do want to take a minute to talk about our partnership That we've been going, uh, we've been talking about over the last couple of weeks with Cross International.
2: Yeah, you probably heard we've been partnering with Cross International for the past couple of weeks to help uh, raise money to feed kids in Latin America.
1: Yeah, Cross International is a nonprofit organization that works with ministry
2: partners on the ground in countries like Guatemala, El Salvador, Haiti, and the Dominican Republic. So through these partnerships, uh, Cross is actually able to provide food to malnourished kids, giving them. Not only like a chance to live, but also like hope in the midst of that. Yeah. And it's
1: not expensive. That's the crazy thing about Cross. It's just a $39 one time gift for, uh, so not a month, but $39 in a year can feed a child for that entire year. And you and I, we, and the station here set a goal when Robert Lewis was here uh, a week and a half, two weeks ago. Uh, and we are, we are really close to making that goal.
2: So the reason we're talking about it right now, though, is, uh, we have a special offer. If you're a business owner or if you like make marketing decisions for a business, uh, we want to offer you the chance to do good for others while doing something good for your business. Yeah, here's what it is. You're ready for it? Here it is. If you make a $2,000 gift
1: to Cross international, uh, which, by the way, is completely tax deductible, uh, AM 1160 will give you, at no extra charge, 50 60-second commercials for your business to air right here on this station Between 6 a.m. and 7 p.m. Monday through Friday, we're in that state. We're we're during that time, so you get to be during our show, uh, 50 60-second commercials for a
2: $2,000 gift across international. And Brian is amped up. So to take take advantage of this special business benefactor offer, please call 866-822-4883. Or go to 1160hope.com and just click the Cross International banner. And when you give a $2,000 gift, you'll receive a call from our marketing specialist here at AM1160 to get your set up with your advertising campaign. It's literally that easy. And you'll be helping to feed over 50 children through that gift.
1: Yep, that's 866-822-4883 or 1160hope.com. And so we want to thank you in advance for your generosity. Uh, and thanks for making a real difference in the lives of malnourished children through the work of Cross international we want to get this done we want to see all of these kids that we set the goal for be fed uh so go ahead and do that and it's uh it's a great deal you're actually i think making money on this deal so uh hope that you will do it so yesterday was sunday i don't know if you remember it uh sometimes it's a blur uh but and you end up i always forget monday you got to preach again so monday,
2: uh yeah monday. i won't i won't this monday oh, so I won't you weren't about yeah no i, I was speech. in the city yeah. okay uh
1: and so what made this past sunday uh, a little more relaxing for me, but different for the sake of this segment, is I didn't preach. Uh, our, <laughs> our associate pastor, Scott Murray, preached on Daniel chapter 3. We're walking through the book of Daniel. So. Who
2: I actually met for the first like, time. Well, no, like, oh, ten, that's like, right. ten, like 10 years
1: ago. That is right. You guys uh, put that two and two together. But uh, So he preached yesterday, uh, and while I listened to most of his sermon, what I told you when I'm uh, not preaching, but I'm at the church. I love to just roam and talk to people in the lobby and stuff, and I got a little caught up yesterday, <laughs> so I was one of those guys that wasn't in for the whole service. Oh, but, boy. Uh, so you're going to need to carry this segment of for us, man. So you preached in the city.
2: Yeah. Uh, tell us about it. So I was at our Lincoln Park location, and we meet at uh, at Latin School there in, uh, in Lincoln uh. Park. It's a really, really cool space. Um, so we're in this series called This Changes Everything, and... This one was called "Love like Jesus," so I, I started talking about sitcoms, like the reason that I think like sitcoms are funny, but I think the thing the deeper reason that we're kind of drawn to them is it's sort of this like picture of community life, yeah, They're like, oh man, I wish I had friends like that, or I wish my workplace was like that and I was kind of so I was kind of sort of touching on this like desire for community, and yet for a lot of us. We just find that really, really difficult. In fact, there was an article in the Harvard Business Review and the former surgeon general said this, during my years caring for patients, the most common pathology I saw was not heart disease or diabetes. It was loneliness. Whoa. Isn't that wild? Yeah. So uh, George Gallup, after numerous studies, says Americans are among the loneliest people in the world. So again, this idea that we like long for community and yet uh, it appears that we're actually not that great at it. So this... uh, This passage in John 13, Jesus says, a new command I give you, love one another. So that, you know, he's saying, you've heard a bunch of commands. I have a new one for you. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Which I thought was super compelling actually. Like this is the way that people will know. Not by your websites, not by your weekly attendance, not by your talent or by your politics or your doctrine. They'll know that you're for real, that I'm for real by like how you love people. So this idea that like, the Bible knows nothing, I don't think, of solitary religion. Right. There's just no, there's no picture of growing in Christ likeness alone by yourself. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying there isn't space for retreat and right. rest and, you know, that kind of recharging is, is really important. But at its, at its core, I think, I think community is central to what it means to be an apprentice of Jesus. So he said a couple of things and I'll, I'll unpack it kind of briefly. So community is a byproduct of commitment. You know, a lot of times we think. The community just sort of happens yeah. you just sort of like the sitcoms, right you just oh, I found these friends, and we 're all friends for life, and we all stood up in each other 's weddings, yeah. like it actually requires you know saying alright i 'm I'm actually in community is the context in which we 're transformed, mm. so one of the things that I said was, um, you know like you know the fruit of the spirit, I do if you want to good, <laughs> good you're I'm aware you're a pastor <laughs> like if you like for example, if you want to grow in kindness uh you 're not going to grow in kindness in a vacuum right if if you ask God, grow me in this area of kindness. Uh, he's probably going to put some unkind people in your life. Some people that stomp in your life. That's how you grow in these things is by actually, you know, living out in the world. And there's a, uh, a thing that I think we do where we just sort of isolate and we, I think we mistake a network for community. It's not the same thing. A lot of us have big networks, right? You know, even in our jobs or our schools or our neighborhoods, but a network is not the same thing as community. There's a, a a woman named Sherry Turkle, who's a, um, She's an MIT professor and she wrote a book called Reclaiming Conversation. She said, face to face conversation is the most human and most humanizing thing we do. Fully present to one another, we learn to listen. It's where we develop the capacity for empathy, it's where we experience the joy of being heard and of being understood. And I think we've lost some of that, that like face to face stuff. So I, you know, I addressed some of the reasons that I think we avoid community. One is individualism. We're just happier to do life on our own, you know number two I think is idealism I said marriage is a great example of this, you know before you get married you have this Like hollywood hallmark idea of what marriage is going to look like and then you actually get into it and it's still wonderful But it's hard. Yeah, there's difficulty and there's you know potholes and hurdles And then the third one I said is just intimidation and I don't think it's a extrovert introvert thing I think really being known like really being in community like real community is uh, is just i think it's kind of frightening i think but if we want to trans- if we want to live like jesus i think it's i think it's necessary and i talked about this idea of you know in trinitarian language father son holy spirit god himself is community so if god himself is community it wouldn't it make sense that as image bearers we would need community as well like god didn't create humans because he was lonely like father son spirit already this dance of the divine community pre-exist humans and so when we say image bearers i think it makes sense then that like we would need each other so we just sort of challenge people kind of bluntly to do life together you know the new testament has these 59 one another's Mm. and it talks about like what it looks like to to love one another to do life together and i think uh again easier said than done and i gave a caveat at the very top i was like i'm not very good at this so i'm not in any way saying this is someone who's arrived this is a struggle for me but that kind of was the the, the nuts and bolts challenge to, awesome. to really, really lean in and do life together.
1: Oh, that's powerful. That's powerful. Thanks for sharing. Uh, again, we always say we hope that you're a part of a church and that you were blessed yesterday uh, as you gathered for worship. Well, coming up next, uh, we are going to talk to best-selling author and radio host Eric Metaxas. Coming up next about uh, uh, an event he's taking part in tomorrow night here in the Chicagoland area. That's next here on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. back to the common good on am 1160 hope for your life alongside ian Simkins, my name is brian Fromm. thank you for joining us uh, again today uh we are always grateful for the various people we get to talk to uh on this show and right now uh we're excited to be joined on the phone uh by new york times best-selling author and radio host eric metaxas eric thank you so much for joining us today
5: well it's a privilege thanks for having me i i can't believe that uh in a couple of hours, I'm heading to Chicago. Uh, I will be in town, as you know, for a special event tomorrow night. It's so special, I cannot believe it. It's tomorrow night uh, at the Schaumburg uh, Convention Center uh, in Schaumburg, Illinois. Is that how you pronounce it? Schaumburg?
2: You know, I've lived here 15 years. I'm not entirely sure. <laughs> yeah. I, think, not sure. I think that's right. But I'm,
5: I'm interviewing, uh, I'm doing a special Socrates in the City event tomorrow night. And I'm interviewing, of all people, Caroline Kennedy, Mm. uh, the daughter of John F. Kennedy uh, Jr., obviously. And I'm really looking forward to it. It's going to be one of those conversations that uh, even I don't know what to expect, which is a good thing. Uh, But she is, is someone we hear about or we hear from so rarely. And I think, my goodness, to be able to have a conversation with her in front of it's going to be about six hundred people. I know there's still a few tickets, a few seats left, so if people are interested um they should they should check it out. The door's open at six o'clock tomorrow night, as I said, it's at the schomburg uh Renaissance schomburg convention center uh, and I am just uh I'm just amazed that that we're doing it uh the, They can find out information at Judson University or at Socrates in the city, probably. I would try Judson University. Mm-hmm. But it's 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 very it's just really exciting. I hope that as many people can come as possible. I'll hang out and sign books. And, and uh, you, you know, you probably weren't going to ask me about this. I know you weren't, but <laughs> I, like, I'm going to tell you anyway. Uh, I have a new children's book out called, it's supposed to be funny. It's called Donald Builds the Wall. <laughs> and it, it's a certain caveman named Donald. I'm not going to say who it might look like, but it's uh, it's, it's meant to be funny. Donald builds the wall. We had a book last year, Donald drains the swamp and it's uh, originally we did it as, as humor books for adults, you know? And uh, I, uh, I thought, you know, there's nothing nasty in here. It really does work as a kid's book. So people are buying the books for their kids, but tomorrow night I'll be signing copies of Donald builds the wall and whatever other books uh, they, they have there. But I'm just looking forward to connecting with people after it's over. You know, I've got plenty of time, yeah. and I, I enjoy that more more than anything, to be honest. So I hope
1: people can hang out. Well, that's awesome. It's part of the World Leaders Forum through Judson University. And, again, that is tomorrow night. Uh, and, again, it will be Eric Metaxas and uh, Caroline Kennedy. And you already touched on this, but I'm curious – um, what are you expecting that conversation? I'm guessing at least politically you and Caroline Ken- Kennedy probably don't line up on many things. Is this going to be a debate style? Or are you guys just going to be discussing? Are you interviewing her? Could you paint a picture for people what that night's going to look like?
5: I- I'll tell you the truth. I don't know myself, which makes <laughs> it really exciting. Yeah. You know, uh, she's a very private person. And so I don't know, but she's agreed to have a conversation with me. And I, I just think it's going to be, fascinating no matter what yeah. i mean i am i am really excited about it. i'm going to talk to her on the phone today actually on my way to the airport you know just to kind of to figure out what she wants to talk about or or that kind of thing but i i can't uh i can't wait it's going to be exciting yeah. and i hope as many people can come as possible because this is not the kind of thing you do every day yeah
2: well it's been interesting too because i you know i graduated judson a while ago and they started. Hosting these world leaders forums that was a couple of years after I graduated but it's it's been curious for me sort of from a near distance to see some of the different guests and some of the different responses and uh, it's been it's been cool to see you know people graduate and engage with topics that I think are really really important and I know that you uh, I don't know if we prepared you to answer any of these questions, but you also wrote a book on Bonhoeffer, and Bonhoeffer is somebody that we, you know, we learned a lot about at Judson. And I'm, I'm wondering if you can tell us anything about that book or something that if you had you know a minute and a half to tell somebody about Bonhoeffer, what would you make sure that they needed to know?
5: Well, I, I think the story of Bonhoeffer is unique in, in a number of ways. Number one, it is one of the most dramatic examples that we have of someone living out his faith, in a radical way, Uh, and also in dealing with politics. How do people of faith deal in the political realm? What does it look like to have a serious faith in Jesus and to be thrust into political turmoil? A lot of people in Bonhoeffer's day said, oh, we shouldn't get involved in politics. We should, you know, just pray. Bonhoeffer said, no, God will hold me responsible if I just pray. If I do not take action when God has given me the opportunity to take action— even if I screw it up, God is a God of grace, but I must look at the situation and do what I can. I think there are a lot of evangelicals today who feel hamstrung when it comes to politics. They, they feel that, oh, I, I can't get involved or it would be mean uh, to say anything about my opponent or anything. That's nonsense. Bon, Bonhoeffer understood that you can love someone while speaking the truth, and he, in, in fact, got involved in a plot to kill Hitler because he knew that Hitler was overseeing the murder and torture of millions of innocents, and For those of us who think that this whole thing is complicated, because it is complicated, I have to say that this provides an opportunity for us to see how one saint, an amazing man of God, dealt with this complicated situation led by the Holy Spirit. I really do think it's a lesson for us today. I think there are many parallels uh, to what the state was trying to do to the Church in Bonhoeffer's day, and those parallels are happening today in different ways, but I think we have to face it. And uh, I think that, uh, you know, the story of Bonhoeffer, there can be no better example uh, to give us an idea of how to deal with this and how to pray about it than than his story. So it's uh, in retrospect, it's why God led me to write that book. It's been translated down to 20 different languages, and it's been sold over a million copies. It's one of those stories that wow. you can't make it up. I had the privilege to write it, and I know that God is, is using it in the lives of uh, of many, many people. Thanks for asking.
1: Yeah, Absolutely. Uh, And I I remember reading that book and just being like, well, there is so much to it. And it was great. You also wrote a book and similarly about Martin Luther. uh, And I'm wondering, uh, do you you think that um, that people resonate with Martin Luther now, even so many years later? Tell us a little bit about that book as well.
5: Well, Martin Luther, you know, I didn't want to write another biography after Bonhoeffer, but the Martin Luther book. You know, some friends of mine twisted my arm and they said, look, you don't understand, Eric. You're the guy to write this book. You understand the theology. Once you dig into it, you're going to see that there's been nobody like him. God used him 500 years ago to do some things that, in a way, nobody else would have been able to do it. God uh, uniquely prepared him, and I guess what I understood was that he sort of freed the gospel from its religious shackles. The gospel at that time... Really was not free. The gospel is freedom. And once you allow it to do what it's going to do, the benefits and the ramifications go in every direction. And you could say that the modern world was created because God appointed this man to free the gospel uh, at a time when it, it had not been free. And it really tells us how we got to where we are today, for good and for ill. It's an amazing story. But the, the the luther story is very entertaining he's a, he's a wild man he's yeah. a maniac in the best sense and and i found it a lot of fun to tell his story and i think people who read it uh who who are familiar with it will agree and there's a lot of debunking i didn't set out to debunk anything but i bumped into many things i said now we know that's not true that's mm. not true and so uh, in in a way it's kind of the updated version a lot of the most previous books uh, repeat things that we can now say did not happen and it it affects how we see uh his legacy
1: well again you've been listening to eric Eric metaxas he'll be at the world leaders forum uh tomorrow night at the renaissance schaumburg convention center uh begins at 7 p.m doors open at 6 there's even a vip reception held at 5 p.m you can find uh get tickets at judson Dot edu. Eric, we hope the uh, it goes great, you and Caroline Kennedy. You're coming to Chicago. It's the most beautiful time of year, so uh, you picked a great time I'm of year excited. to come. I'm
5: excited. I ask the people listening to pray for the conversation, that God's will be done in the conversation. Mm-hmm. Obviously, uh, that's what I'm hoping, and uh, that, that the Lord would be glorified. It's just a great opportunity. Thanks for having me on.
1: Absolutely. Thank Appreciate you it. so much for joining us. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, welcome to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Alongside Ian Simkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Thanks for joining us on this Monday afternoon. Uh, You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio Show. On Twitter at Common Good Talk. That's at Common Good Talk. Online at 1160Hope.com. And you can find our podcast wherever it is you find your podcast. Go ahead, subscribe, rate, and review and uh we were we are grateful to those of you who already listen to the podcast and hope that you're having a great monday well uh over the weekend or early last week uh there was a conference called the Caring Well conference uh that uh for southern baptist convention leaders for them to wrestle with questions of procedure and accountability uh on sexual abuse grappling with how to best address an issue some say the denomination took far too long address. And so we've had many a conversation about uh, the Southern Baptist Conventions, um, their response to sexual abuse, uh, what are they going to do about it? Uh, And so they had this conference over the weekend, uh, and a lot of it was focused on how do we grow, how do we learn better? Uh, But what I found interesting was a lot of it wasn't looking forward, it was looking back, like how do we first uh, diagnose and figure out uh, what was done wrong, and they gave a lot of time to people who were abused and hurt, uh, and wondering what your thoughts are just on on kind of the structure of this and then what came out of it.
2: You know, I was interested in the structure because uh, I think at least at first blush, it felt like there was a lot of contrition, a lot of like, okay, we need, we need to get our head around what it is that's actually happening kind of right under our noses in a lot of ways. Uh, I don't know that I'm as... Convinced following the event that that actually happened there are people in this article that you know called it a glorified publicity stunt and I don't like thinking like that but it certainly makes sense though that people are I think uh, not necessarily satisfied with the 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 meat of the of the conference the meat of the event the conclusions or the actionables that were actually decided on it it feels like um, there's a lot more to do and I don't think anyone necessarily would disagree that was there, but it, uh, I don't know. I'm a, I'm a little torn on it.
1: Yeah, because on the one hand, it seems like the problem has been through the years that the Southern Baptist Convention has hidden all of these types of things. That right. They have run from these types of things, and now under much more of the leadership of, say, J.D. Greer, uh, Russell Moore is at the middle of this, even Beth Moore you hear a lot of. Uh, there seems to be a desire to get this right, but uh, the, the confusing part is what does get this right actually mean, right? And, right. Who do you listen to? How do you figure that out? And I'm 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 intrigued by the fact of they're going to have to do a lot of work looking back before they can even really tackle the structures going forward.
2: Well, and I think it's interesting too when you actually uh, hear from some of the people that were there. there There's a guy named Andrew Schmutzer who kind of now he was actually abused as a teenager by his father who was a missionary. He says with these strong spiritual families, you don't question. You're taught not to question. Peter LaRufa, pastor at Grace Fellowship Church in Northern Kentucky, said he was struck by a seminar detailing how abusers groom people in situations to their benefit. He said the information unsettled him but better prepared him to put protections in place for his kids. Here's what he's, he said, he said uh, I was just thinking through what that might look like for me as a dad, not being paranoid but being vigilant and helpful for my children. Uh, Then also for me as a pastor to start rethinking what things might we want to put in place, particularly for our student ministry. So there does seem to be a lot of people who are kind of um, experiencing some of these stories for the first time or at a new level, which I appreciate the response sort of being like, all right, we've not actually had an issue in our church yet. But hearing some of these stories makes me want to be more vigilant in setting up parameters and guidelines. I think that's a good takeaway um, but, yeah, again, is it is it enough?
1: Yeah, and, and there seems to be uh, some of the pushback is, hey, we've been having these meetings for the last five years and nothing's right. really happened. And, um, you know, Vice President Philip uh, Bethancourt, he noted that he and other SBC members met five years ago with a group of experts and advocates who focus on abuse but did not take adequate action. So he said for Southern Baptists to have a future, we must confront our failure to own our own sins. The question before us is not what will be the future of Southern Baptists because of abuse. The question is, will there be a future for Southern Baptists at all if we don't get this right? And so, on one end, it's it's uh, it's encouraging that they're rising it to that level, right? Because for so many years it was like, ah, if we can just keep this hidden, we'll be okay. If we can just keep this hidden, uh, and many parallels, quite frankly, to our own lives, <laughs> how we do uh, we hide from sin versus kind of come out, but. Uh, it it is interesting that it feels like there's been this shift now in the Southern Baptist to say, uh, we've got to deal with the failures and the issues of our past sins and, and make tear things down all the way, if need be to make sure that we get this right and protect the most vulnerable.
2: Is that really what you think is happening? I
1: hope. Yeah. I mean, I'm not in it enough. I think that like with any big organization, there's probably um, a lot of, of competing voices yeah there's probably a lot of people going well we need to just kind of make this go away there's probably a lot of people saying hey we just need to deal with the issues that are right now in front of us and then move on like probably tired of talking about this subject yeah but it does seem like there is a there's a a part of the leadership that's saying no we've got to Uh, do the hard work to completely set up new systems so that this never happens again. Yeah. And I think that's where the real question lies is the Southern Baptist convention. And it's just the biggest denomination, but all denominations, all churches deal with this. Are we going to deal with this to a level to try to do our best that this can never happen again? Uh, or are we going to try to just deal with, you know, put out the fires so that we can kind of move on and move on to the next thing?
2: Yeah, I like what uh, So Debbie Vasquez, a survivor of abuse by an SBC pastor, attended this conference accompanied by a contingent from the Survivors Network of Those Abused by Priests, uh, an organization known for advocating for Catholic survivors of abuse, asked about the Caring Well curriculum. She expressed frustration that the denomination wasn't doing more. She said, that's a half measure. She called the conference a PR stunt. She called for the creation of a database of pastors and other church personnel who have been credibly accused of abuse and repeatedly questioned by the church, uh, why the church had taken so long to address the crisis. I didn't realize that didn't already exist. That seems like a no brainer to me.
1: Yeah, it does. And so part of it is like looking back at the problems and going, owning it, going, we should have created this a long time ago. And uh, Dave got a lot of work to do, man. The people who most suffered, they're the ones that have to be, I don't know if convinced is the right word or or whatever word it might be, that, you know what, we're making an honest effort at this and we actually want your help. And that's the key. We want your help versus, hey, for PR reasons, we're wanting to look like we're dealing with this, but it's kind of end up being business as usual. That's where the real, not only the rubber meets the road, but my my guess is that's where the real struggle for the leadership is going to be because there's probably going to be people who don't want to deal with the
2: issues. Well, so what do we do then? Like as... Pastors that aren't a part of the SBC or anyone listening that's like, that's not my tribe necessarily, but I care about this issue and survivors. Like, what is what is something that we can, we can actually actionably do? I
1: think, as I've thought about this, it's we need to make sure that there's places in our church and people in our church um, that, that the structures are in place within our church that – those who uh, have suffered abuse outside the church, they feel like the church is a safe place that they can come and get healing. But even more so uh, that if there was abuse allegations within our churches, that we have the structures and systems in place to not only uh, to, to make sure that those aren't just getting pushed into the corner for the sake of the organization to make sure at four corners or at the yellow, but our community Christian, that, that those systems are in place so that abusers uh, are not only uh, believed, but but that we're not going to just try to protect the brand. And so, at an organizational level, for something like the Southern Baptist Convention, that's a that's a harder deal because it's so much more complex. But it's hard even at our churches at a level. What's the hardest part about it? Uh, I think that when um, uh, when accusations come out that. Um, uh, the, the first inclination I think for us as humans is to make them go away hmm. because we see them as a reflection upon us, our ministry. Is this gonna tear the church down? What's this gonna do? Right. Versus, hey, uh sounds like there was sin within our organization, even that, that maybe we didn't know about. Right. We want to make the best to deal with that.
2: Yeah, and you have to you have to be fully committed to that call. Yeah. That even if this sinks Something that we've spent a lot of time building, something that we really love. I, I think that that has to be. And I don't know that we're enough people are there yet yep. that we that we come alongside people who have been harmed, and we are um, really, really intentional and focused about making sure that doesn't happen. I think that's again, these are than done, but it's, it's really, really necessary.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. So an important topic. You can read more about it at our Facebook page, The Common Good Radio Show. Well, coming up next, we are going to have the pleasure. Uh, for two segments, to talk in studio to Ray McElroy. Uh, Ray is a former NFL football player, former team chaplain for the Chicago Bears, uh, amongst all sorts of other things Ray is doing. So we're going to enjoy that conversation. Coming up here next on The Common Good, AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Grateful to have you joining us today. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show, on Twitter at Common Good Talk. Well, we are uh, really excited to be joined in studio uh, by Ray McElroy. Ray, thank you so much for joining us. Brian, it's a pleasure. Thanks for having me this morning. Absolutely, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Something we've been doing on the show is just saying, hey, why don't you introduce yourself? So why don't you tell our audience a little bit about yourself?
3: All right. Well, my name is Ray McElroy. Uh, I like to say that uh, I spent 11 years in the National Football League, six as a player, Mm. uh, four for the Indianapolis Colts who drafted me, one for the Detroit Lions, one for our very own Chicago Bears. Uh, And I also spent five years at Chicago Bears team chaplain under Lovey Smith from 08 to 2012. And so had the thrill of being able to uh, grow up in Chicago Uh, uh, play for my hometown team and then get a chance to serve my hometown team as team chaplain. So that was pretty cool.
2: That's awesome. So so talk to me a little bit now about what you occupy your time with now. I'm always interested to, particularly when people choose something vastly different than what they were doing a decade ago, Tell us about what you're interested in now, what you're doing now, what your kind of passions and the stuff that drives you. What's that Me like? and I am very busy. It's crazy. It's crazy. <laughs> we don't so, know anything about that. <laughs> yeah.
3: So right now um, I have my own non for profit It's called A Ray of Hope on Earth. It was birthed through uh, the Bears chaplaincy piece. Hmm. Um, at the time, we were chaplains. We were doing youth football camps. We were doing school tours. And and, and it has developed into kind of a two-pronged approach. Now we're youth development and professional athlete development. On our professional wow. athlete side, want to help uh, players better transition from the game, and specifically in their uh, in their marital relationships, want to keep marriages together. Right. It's a huge issue uh, with players. Wow. Uh, once transition happens, yeah. they kind of lose their identity and their sense of right. self, and right. a lot of things begin to kind of uh, break open for them. And then on our youth development side, uh, currently we mentor In three to four schools in the inner city of Chicago, we've been doing it for the last five years, middle school age boys. Um, We still do our youth football camps for at-risk, underserved kids. And one of the newer programs that we're trying to roll out now, it's still very much in its infancy stage. But we want to develop an entrepreneurial program for young men around real estate. Um, That's one of the other things I'm doing right now. Working in real estate, just really brand new. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's awesome. Making, making a <laughs> lot of mistakes right now. Sure. You know, ironing out all the kinks and everything, but we have some support. And, you know, we want to create this program that kids can. Who may not have college as a viable second option yeah, for them right. or first option for them uh, to be able to learn a skill, learn a trade, mm. uh, make legal money. Yeah. Make right. legal right. money, right. And then uh, once they graduate high school to have the choice, they can start their own business yeah. or they can uh, connect with uh, friends that we have in the industry. And now these guys have a vetted skilled worker. These kids now have a viable option for their future. So we love it. So that's one of the other things we're doing outside of that. <laughs> yeah, uh, Why not? <laughs> yeah, I am a corporate motivational speaker. So I speak in corporations and groups and, you know, we encourage them yeah. around uh, I, my, my uh, corporate talk is called to boldly go stepping out of ordinary yeah. to extraordinary. Hmm. And so around my football story, I teach people and companies uh, how to take their game individually and corporately to the next level. Hmm. And finally, Beside being uh, a husband of 23 years to my wife, Michelle, and right four on. kids, right two in college, one a senior in high school, and one a seven-year-old. Seven and now she's actually seventh grade, 13-year-old today. Wow. Wow. B- b- birthday. Oh, birthday, wow. birthday. Happy birthday, Ramaya. Happy birthday. I'm an associate pastor. Uh, up in the great state of Wisconsin, believe it or not, right across the border in Beloit, a wonderful church called Central Christian Church. Yeah. Uh, been there since uh, April, and uh, it's been absolutely phenomenal. That's wow. amazing.
1: Like, when are you going to do some stuff with your life, you know? It's <laughs> crazy. So there's so much there. There's so much I want to talk about. Uh, I want to start with the, the, being the chaplain for the Bears. Um, I don't think a lot of people know what a chaplain to a football team would mm-hmm. do. What does is, what is the day-to-day uh, chaplain do for a professional football team?
3: For every team, it's different. And for every, um, uh, I would say, regime, mm-hmm. it's different because mm-hmm. really it's not even up to the team. It's up to the individual coach who okay. comes in. So under a guy like Lovey Smith, who loved the Lord, um, it was wonderful. We had access to the players as often as we wanted. And so while we were there, my wife and I, we provided five services a week. the team. Wow. And so, so for example, the guys just played in London on yesterday. Um, On a game uh, like that, on that day, four and a half hours before every football game, there would be a preached word delivered by myself or by somebody that I brought in to speak to the team. So that's typically on game day. Uh, On a Tuesday, Uh, typically the players off day, we would have couples Bible study for the married uh, players and their wives or the guys that are engaged or seriously dating. And we do that at a player's house. And so uh, I I like the joke. We used to uh, have it a lot of peanut Tillman's house (laughs) and, um, you know, like, hey, we'll do it in the basement, and you go down in the basement, and I'm like, bro, this ain't no basement. <laughs> this, is, this is a lower level. This it's is not no a basement. Right, right, right. You know, basement is one of those areas you, you can't even stand up in. Get you your right. head. That's the basement. Right. This isn't the basement. So I have fun with that. But uh, on Fridays, we would have um, player Bible study at the facility after the. Um, that's usually the the quickest practice of the week. Okay, uh, when they don't have afternoon meetings, and so players come in. We have a, a Bible study there. And then on Saturday mornings, we would have a co- uh, coaches Bible study for the coaches. Wow. And then my wife, the fifth service, she would do women's Bible study off campus. No kidding. Uh, at a local church for the wives, the girlfriends, and the fiance. So five services a week in season. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah. All
2: right, so I, I want to ask you about something you said earlier. You mm-hmm. talked about the difficulty transitioning from football into whatever the next kind of phase yeah. is. And I don't think that's even just unique to football players. I think a lot of people struggle with this sort of I am what I do, That's and right. then if you're not doing that thing, you can, you can end up feeling like you're a little lost at sea, like mm-hmm. what, what, do I, what do I do now? Can you talk to us a little bit more about how that was for you and some <laughs> of what you see in coaching other people to kind of navigate that season?
3: If you're interviewing my wife right now, she would tell you that I was depressed. She uh, would tell you that uh, I was really kind of lost as far, because many times, particularly uh, in professional sports, the game is done with you before you're done with it right oh interesting and so um that's where kind of the disconnection comes hmm. and unfortunately for me uh i don't think i went in with my eyes wide open enough to recognize that all while i was in the game hmm. i should have been very well preparing for when the game was done or injury or right or or, or right, right uh. and so um that the you know that the, the the difficulty with being a professional athlete is we have this very, very, um, I want to say, affirming mindset. Hmm. Everything is positive. It's always going to work out. Yeah. Because up until that point, it always has. Oh, right. I mean, we have beaten the odds to be where we right. are uh, at right. that moment. And right. so this current space that we find ourselves in, this won't be any different. Right. And unfortunately, um, life kind of catches up with guys like us. Yeah. And so I would say to anybody that's listening. You know, it's always good when you're in a space um, to have something that you're working on, something that you're developing, something. We always have a hobby or a different interest that could very easily become a career. Right. If if something shifts or changes. And so um, that's one area that I didn't do a very good job in. Mm. Uh, So it took me a while to kind of find what's my next my next niche. And I eventually did find it through, you know, speaking and preaching and presenting Um, and I never really recognized, and this, this is what I teach my kids, and I, I really appreciate you guys asking me this question, this idea of, um, what is it that you're passionate about and mm. what is it that you're naturally good at, even academically? So what's your favorite subject? Well, if somebody had asked me that question when I was my kid's age, who I mentor now, I'd have told them my favorite two subjects in school were English mm. and, um, um, history. Mm. Well, now, what is the Bible? (laughs) (laughs) Practical, intents and purposes, it is the Word of God. We know it's the living, breathing Word of God, but it's a history book, right? And I love history, right? Mm. The other thing is uh, I've always been really, really good at standing in front of people and Uh, oral mm. presentations and church giving speeches and all this kind of stuff and Easter speeches and all that kind of right. stuff. And now I get to communicate for 11. That's awesome. And so really helping people to identify what areas that you naturally gravitate to, what you're naturally gifted at. And those are clues as to how God has wired you to wrap your entire life around. Well, that's, that's really, that's good. really good. Well, we're really excited to be joined uh, by
1: Ray. Uh, McElroy, McElroy mm-hmm. did I get it wrong the first time? You did, but it's I okay. <laughs> it
3: happens all the time. I, I really like how you subtly changed it, but I, gotta, I really
1: appreciate that. Uh, and you've got so much to share that we are really excited you're going to join us here for another segment. That's coming up next here on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life alongside Ian Simpkins. My name uh, is Brian Fromm. We're very excited to be joined uh, by Ray McElroy. Uh, nailed it. Nailed it that time. But if you go back and listen to the last segment, you'll hear he is doing so many things. Uh, you uh, Used to be in the NFL, an NFL chaplain, currently a pastor, a motivational speaker, uh, dad, husband, all sorts of other things. Uh, we want to talk about a lot deeper things, but I, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you. What happened to the Bears yesterday?
3: Man, <laughs> I just finished watching the game. You we did. had my daughter's birthday party yesterday, okay, so I was okay. on daddy duty. But, man, we just, you know, it's tough. It's bad enough when a team beats you. But when you beat yourself, yeah. those are the those are the difficult ones. Right. Timely penalties at the wrong time. Uh, that doggone uh, uh, running into the kicker penalty yes. killed us. Right. Uh, uh, Charles Leno, I love him, is one of my guys. Didn't have the best day. Mm -hmm. Uh, Just timely penalties, you know, at the wrong time. And those things, they kill drives, they kill momentum. We had the ball up for driving. Mm -hmm. I mean, what a great throw um, uh, Chase made to uh, Allen Robinson out of the end zone to keep that drive alive. And then, you know, the drive stalls due to a penalty and, uh, you know, we don't recover, so... It's uh, a long flight back from London. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
2: Your laughing makes it sound like you're not actually lamenting. That's <laughs> a, I, We've said on here a lot, I'm a Giants
3: fan. They, yeah. uh-huh.
1: they got smoked yesterday. <laughs> Congratulations
3: on your quarterback, thank by you, way. Though, yeah, the way. Thank right. you, We're, looking, right. we're excited yeah. about that. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Well, one of the reasons that uh, we wanted to have you come out is actually you're speaking at the Yellow Box, we're mm-hmm. on the teaching pastor, uh, October 19th. It's the men's fall kickoff. I do want to say also, 20 bucks not only gets you to the event, but it includes breakfast. Uh, I feel like a lot of times men listening like breakfast. Yeah, that's right. I'm, I'm there. Hot breakfast. Hot, Hot breakfast. Breakfast. Right, right, right. Oh, it's, it's not We've like, a, for real. like, like right. it's not a box of munchkins. Right. It's, a real, right. it's the real thing. That's right. But I can you share a little bit about what you kind of hope out of that yeah. event? Because you, you say you speak all the time and you're not always speaking just to churches. You speak to organizations. Can you talk
3: about this particular event on the 19th? It's my favorite group to speak to. I love speaking awesome. to men. Awesome. Um, when you challenge a real man, a real man steps up. And we all need it. Right. Um, and so we're going to be talking about just what it looks like to get off of the sidelines and get into the game. Yeah. You know, what does it look like for us to be better husbands, better fathers? Uh, and some of that means, uh, not just flexing our muscle. Some of that means, uh, taking a step back, examining decisions that we made, mm. taking a, a, a healthy slice of humble pie, yeah. uh, maybe next to our pancakes on Saturday morning, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and recognizing how we need to get back in alignment. Um, with God's word and God's will for our lives as it pertains to the women in our life, to children in our, in our life and a decision that we're making career wise. That's, That's awesome. great.
1: I, I love that phrase. Get off the sideline. What do you think the, uh, what pushes us to the sidelines? Cause why, 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 what's the draw to the sidelines? Yeah. I guess I'd
3: ask. Well, I think fear and mm-hmm. we be honest, if we be honest, there are some things that uh, we're afraid of. Yeah. Um, I would say, um, you know, like the bears, uh, we've made some mistakes And uh, we feel like, you know, some of these mistakes that we've made, uh, we can't recover from. So it's safer uh, to be on the sidelines versus get back out in the game and give it another try uh, with the fear that I may screw it up again. Right. 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 Uh, But, you know, real athletes, particularly football players, it's all about the next play. Yeah. Even when you make a good play. Right. It doesn't make a big, big deal if we can't play the next play. That's right. All about the next play, men. And so that's what we're going to be talking about. And. And uh, prayerfully, we can get some guys reengaged in some areas and uh, encourage them.
2: Well, and I can say too with confidence, the the group that's going to be there are incredible. I've, I've been so impressed by Mike and his team, and the like. I, anytime you know, I grew up in kind of the Promise Keepers era, gotcha. you know, and I remember like mm-hmm. being so inspired, like watching men come together being honest about their struggles Mm -hmm. and their fears and their shortcomings. We'll mention a couple of times, but if you go to communitychristian.org, click on Naperville and under events there, you can, it's open to anybody. So if you're listening and you're like, I'm not sure I'm a Jesus person. I'm not sure I'm a church person. That's okay. We would love for you to be there. It starts at 830 AM on October 19th, $20 breakfast is included, Mm -hmm. but uh, I'm curious. So you did just list like 18,000 things that you're doing. (laughs) What surprises you? At this stage of your life, like what, if you were to travel back in time and Mm -hmm. talk to your 16 year old self, Mm -hmm.
3: what surprises you about like what you're doing or what drives you or what you're passionate about today? I'm I'm honestly, I would, I would tell you I'm really surprised I'm mentoring. Really? And I'm really surprised. I'm really surprised I'm pastoring Mm -hmm. Uh, because I said I would never be a. A pastor, uh, and that I'm pastoring in Beloit, Wisconsin. Lord Jesus, I'm in Beloit, Wisconsin, of all places. A great church, by the way. It is a an great awesome church. church. Uh, yeah, pastor uh, is is amazing. Um, I like to call him the greatest pastor on the planet, Pastor mm. David Clark. Uh, but I would I would totally be shocked by that. Mm. Um, and I think, you know. Not that I thought that I was just so terrible of a person, hmm. but I wasn't sure if people if they really kind of got to know the real me right that they would gravitate to that dude because hmm. that dude got issues, and that dude got problems, yep. you know, and that dude really isn't all that special in my eyes, yeah, um, but you know the platform that God has blessed us with with the National Football League has really um drawn people to hang out and what he's put in me to share with these boys and with these men and with these ladies and gentlemen that I get to share with you yeah. know, on a regular basis up in Beloit, Wisconsin. yeah, um, It's just been nothing short but miraculous. And only God can do that type of stuff. Right. It, I, it reminds me of when people talk about, you know, well, God don't want to use me. I mean, I, I'm, I'm nobody. I'm just, I'm just ordinary. Hmm. And, and it's not about um, your ability it's about your availability, right. and if you just make yourself available to Jesus, it's amazing how he'll do the rest in you and through you. Yeah, That's right,
1: it. yeah. I'm wondering, uh, most of us uh, have never been in the NFL, and we're, we're kind of intrigued by it. What's something people don't realize about the NFL life? Like, it looks so glamorous all the time. Um, we'll take Peel the curtain back mm-hmm. a little bit for the, those of us who will never experience that.
3: Mm-hmm. It's a grind. Mm-hmm. Um, extremely competitive. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we it's only sixteen games. This, right. this is not the NBA. This yeah. is not Major League Baseball. Right. It is such a grind, and you can literally go from being the the mayor of the city one week hmm. to being uh, not even good enough to be the gum on the bottom of somebody's <laughs> shoe the next, just like that. Yeah, based on your performance, yeah. right? And guys, just having to help them recognize, and I think we talked about it on the last segment is. You are not what you do. Right. And you are not the sum total of your performance, good or bad. Right. You know, helping uh, particularly the Christians understand that um, you are a child of God. Mm. And if you score eight touchdowns or you drop eight touchdowns, you are still loved. You are still valuable. Right. You know, and you are still um, somebody that the Lord wants to use for his glory. Yeah. That's So, Yeah. Um, and that's where that's where the the kind of the quandrum, uh, the conundrum comes when you, you know, that that transition, you kind of get brainwashed and right. thinking you're the sum of what I produce, and so. Um, but anyway, it's very very competitive, and so being able to kind of navigate, uh, successfully through that space is very very difficult, um, because there's so much, there's so much on the line. Not only your livelihood that you've been dreaming about since yeah. you were a little boy, right? But other people. I mean, coaches, you know, uh, GMS, you know, these guys you know if if you don't play well they may be looking for a job and so they then kind of uh put that on you as a player that type of pressure to right. perform because you know it's, it's not just about you it's not just about winning cuz about them as well so it's very very tough yeah, so how do you how does
2: it translate then that kind of grind mentality to to ministry life now i imagine there's some similarities but i imagine there's other stuff like you were saying that you had to almost unlearn mm-hmm. like there's probably days where you speak and you step off that platform, you're like, that wasn't my best. Yeah. That wasn't. And you have to probably deal with those same kinds of demons. Like, how, how have you kind of transitioned from the grind of the NFL to the grind of now a speaker, an
3: author, a pastor? It what does is, that look like? It is still a process because, yeah. yeah, sometimes I say other words that <laughs> yeah. I don't know if I want to say on the air. <laughs> Y'all pray for me. I'm still a work in progress. But Join the, the party. You know, it is, um, you know, you want you always want to do your best. right? You know, and now it's about. You know, Lord, I want to do my best for you. I wanna make sure that I'm saying the right things. I wanna make sure it flows the right way. I want to make sure we're representing you in the right way. Not only that, but particularly when people bring you in, it's also their reputation on the that's line. Right, right. You vouch for this guy. That's that was terrible. You know, that's the, those are the type of thoughts you have, yes, right? Totally, and totally. so, you know, just trying to balance out, okay, I'm gonna give my best. I'm going to trust that God will take even um what I may deem as subpar. And speak to the life and the heart of somebody else and and hope that, um, as I have just, you know, tried to do the very best that I can, um, that God's going to get the increase and the glory out of it. And it's not easy all the time. That's right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, Ray, thank you so much for joining us. You've been listening to uh, Ray McElroy. Uh, Ray is a former professional football player doing all sorts of different great works Around And in particular, if you would like to hear him speak more, and after talking to you, I would like to hear you speak more. Yeah, you if should if come out, man. Uh, if you'd like to hear him speak more, you can do so uh, October the 19th, 8.30 a.m. at Community Christian Church, the Yellow Box in Naperville. in uh, you can help me, communitychristian.org. That's right. right Naperville campus. Go click, to events. Click events. Yep, That's right there. There. Yep, there, there. Men's fall kickoff. There you go. Ray, thank you so much for joining us. This was a lot of fun.
3: Brian, Ian, really enjoyed it. Thanks for having me. Thanks, man. You. Thank you appreciate it.
1: it. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Here's some weird stuff we found on the internet. Here's some more weird stuff we found on the web. That music can only mean one thing and one thing only. That is the end of our show. Some interweb insanity where we tackle uh, just some funny, crazy stories from the internet that come from our producer, PJ, our executive producer, Keith Conrad. Uh, They come and they put in some, you know, funny uh, drops that, that... to go with each story and the bigger thing we want y'all to know is we had nothing to do with this. And so we're laughing with you, we're crying with you, we're we're appalled with you. But Ian, why don't you go first? I think you should go first.
2: Well, oh, no, 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 please, I insist. No, I really I feel strong. I was praying about it earlier. Oh well, if you it, prayed about, it, I'll go first. I'll Alabama the Lord wants you to go first.
1: Alabama—it's a terrible idea to call the cops and ask them to test your meth. <laughs> an, Ala- an Alabama woman concerned that her methamphetamine may have been tainted with another drug asked police to test her stash—a hmm. service request that resulted in her arrest for possession of a controlled substance. Uh, cops report that Jennifer uh, Col- Colline Hall—pronounced Colin—called <laughs> police dispatch Wednesday seeking assistance. When Limestone County Sheriff's Office Deputy subsequently arrived at Hall's residence in Tony, a Huntsville suburb, she presented them with a clear plastic bag she'd removed from a baby wipes container. Oh my I want this dope tested, declared Hall, who added that she was concerned that her speed was somewhat tainted.
2: Looks like I picked the wrong week to quit amphetamines. <gasps> that is unfortunate. Uh, this one says New York State. I'm glad that it includes state in the, the description. Uh, yeah. Man finds stranger sleeping in his bathroom. We've all been there. Yep. Suffolk. Suffolk. Nah. I've been there. Yes. Really? I'm A hundred percent. Suffolk County. Gosh, the English language is so weird. Police are looking for an unknown man they say was discovered sleeping in the bathroom of a Long Island man's home in September. Uh, no long after. That's probably not long after, I'm right? Going with not long. Not long after a quorum. Am I saying any of this right? I'm going with quorum, but I don't know that one. <laughs> I'm going with quorum. Coram man got his home Got home to his condominium On Willow Drive I am not making it through this story at all I, You should have gone first Yeah, geez Louise Around 8 a.m. on September 1st He walked into his bathroom To find a strange man sleeping there authority said The unidentified man woke up and fled from the home before police could get there, but not before the homeowner could snap the above photo. We don't have the photo Mm -mm. (laughs) of the intruders, Uh, offering a cash reward up to $5,000 for any information that leads to the arrest of the man who trespassed in the Karam man's home.
0: What I want out of each and every one of you is a hard target search of every gas station, residence, warehouse, farmhouse, house, outhouse, or doghouse in that area.
1: Great, great movie. Great movie. Fugitive. Uh, Wisconsin. America's cheese. America's cheese. Car thieves leave car behind. Do not know stick shifts. Stop. A car theft was thwarted on Madison's east side Thursday morning because the thieves did not know how to drive a stick shift vehicle. According to the Madison Police Department, the young car thieves entered a home on Celebration Parkway overnight. They used a garage door opener found inside an unlocked vehicle to enter the home, stole a purse and car keys. <laughs> Authorities said that they started the car but did not steal it because they <laughs> did not know how to operate a manual transmission vehicle. <laughs> the purse was found inside another stolen car that was found in Wanaki.
0: Are you some kind of moron?
1: That is exactly why
2: I drive a stick shift.
1: Do you drive one? I do. <laughs> I actually uh uh, truth be told, I do not know how to drive a stick shift. Get car.
2: out! Mm-hmm. You never learned? Mm-mm. Brian from. That's not okay. Nope, I do. You want to take me out? We'll, we'll, uh, we'll drive stick shift together. Mm, if you rent something. <laughs> <laughs> you just I said you have a stick shift car. I do. I don't know that I want you learning <laughs> on my stick shift car is the point. Uh, Oregon suspected drone flying food cart burglar arrested. That is a fun sentence. Yes. A man accused of using a drone to scope out food carts and steal from them has been arrested. How do you steal from a food cart? At least two food carts in the Piedmont food cart pod Pod on Northeast Kills, I should not have made you go first. Oh, my gosh. hop owner, Kia R- oh, I'm not even going to try. Rasmussen. Oh, you think so? Yes. All right. Saw a drone under surveillance video, followed by a man breaking into a cart. PDX Donnerland was also targeted. Owners. <laughs> it's like you got every hard word in here. This is great. Oh, boy. I really picked the wrong day to force you to go first. The thief took tables, business checks, loose change, stickers, and a first aid kit. I'm shocked, angry, and also mildly impressed. <laughs> Portland uh, police said Christopher Bayhurst, 34, has been charged with burglary and theft for the incidents. It's actually, I'm not even mad. That's amazing. <laughs> <sighs> That's a very strange story. Last one is out of
1: Florida. 911 dispatcher suspended for two days. After telling man to get rid of evidence, oh boy, a Lee County Sheriff's Office communications dispatcher is suspended for two days and taking six months of disciplinary probation. After making a personal call on a recorded line in the phone call, Amanda Kinsler tells a man to get rid of evidence. The report comes from August 18th when the Fort Myers Police Department was on scene for a call on Mohawk Avenue and Apache Street. That's when Kinsler called a man telling him to, quote, get rid of it. She claims she didn't know it was marijuana. Oh, boy. Kinsler's co-workers overheard the conversation and reported it to her supervisors. When they discussed the call with her, the supervisors also found a text on her personal phone that read, you need to call me now, ASAP now, or I'm getting a felony. Kinsler later admitted that telling the man to get rid of potential evidence was, quote, a major lapse of judgment. Was that wrong?
0: <laughs> <laughs> Should I not have done that?
1: Yeah. No, that's, that's wrong. I'm going with wrong. So next time, you're not going to try to switch the order. You got hit up hard this time. Yeah,
2: someone has to call Malcolm Baker.
1: <laughs> that was hard. Well, Monday is in the books. Hope you'll join us on Tuesday from 4 to 6 p.m. from Ian, for Ian Simpkins. My name is Brian Fromm. You've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life.